Hey, it's Brandon Laws, your host of Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for the download today. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Go learn about Zenium's new learning and development programs at zeniumhr.com. And we'll put a link in the show notes as well. All right, today we're diving deep into a conversation that's not only timely, but essential for every HR professional striving to adapt and thrive in this ever-evolving landscape of today's workplace. I had the pleasure of sitting down with the incredibly insightful Adam Weber, who's also a fellow podcaster. Adam's not just the chief evangelist at 15.5, but he's also the voice behind the HR Superstars podcast and the author of the compelling read, Lead Like a Human. Through our conversation, Adam sheds light on a seismic shift impacting HR driven by COVID pandemic, social unrest, and the unique values of a newer generation entering the workforce. So you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. I hope you enjoy. If you're a longtime subscriber and are really loving the show, we'd love a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. And sharing on social media is the, the best compliment you could possibly give us. It helps others like you find the show and help them transform their workplace culture in a positive way. So thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the conversation with Adam Weber. Adam, thanks for coming on the podcast. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks, Brandon. Happy to be here. And you're a fellow podcaster as well. How long have you been uh, running your show? Well, I host the HR Superstars podcast, and I'm about a year in, so not not quite as tenured as you. You're you're like the OG in the uh, in the HR podcasting space, but uh, I love it. There, there's always room for more. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Thank thanks for thanks for welcoming me into the club. I've noticed. I was looking at some of like your show on your episodes, and uh, we've interviewed some of the same people. Um, I'm curious, like what. What are some of your favorite guests that you've had so far? Or maybe even topics if you want to drill down there. Yeah, well, I think big picture topic uh, for me and like what the whole purpose of the show is, is really to help usher HR leader. Like the HR industry is just changing so fast right now. Absolutely. From administrative function to a strategic function, from reactive to proactive, from gut feel to proven metrics. <laughs> and like what I really want to do, I guess there's two two kind of goals with it. But one is really to guide people on that journey of how to become a strategic leader and how to take the HR function and kind of get the credibility it deserves with the executive team and how to kind of do the leading edge aspects of HR. So think like culture activation, leadership development, operationalizing through your managers, that sort of thing. And then the other just can't, you know, I've been a chief people officer. I was a founder of my own company uh, that did employee engagement. And I realized that throughout that time, I had so many conversations with guests or not with guests, but just with like the very best HR leaders just by myself and nobody else heard them. And I was like, instead of doing that, I'm just going to press record and like yeah. uh, open it up to the world. So, cause everybody should have access to high quality, you know, people who are doing like leading edge work. I, I so agree. So I, I appreciate what you're doing, uh, especially as a chief people uh, officer. I mean, you, you're probably well connected and just have seen how the industry has changed. And I want to get into that because if you've observed this shift in HR people from like compliance and legal and benefit, like the very tactical side of HR to more of like culture activation and really like people growth. 
Like, why, why is that happening? Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's happening because the needs of the workforce have changed around it. Mm. And so HR was originally built to map to the needs of the workforce. So if you think industrial revolution, people stayed at their jobs for 40 years. <laughs> and what they cared about was compensation, benefits, stability. And so HR function was really built around that. Let's do payroll. Let's keep the business protected and safe. Uh, and let's make sure people have good benefits. And it was like, that was it. But then things like COVID and social unrest and millennials really changed a lot of HR because they, what they valued started to not just change like how companies had to act toward millennials. It changed how companies had to act toward everyone. People started caring about authentic leadership and do I work for a company that has a meaning that matters to me? And then Gen Z now enters the workforce and things like flexibility and balance are coming in. And so HR is is typically just in a response to the values of the workforce. But what's interesting is in like the last five to 10 years, it's like growing rapidly quick. It's hard to keep up. And the expectations are growing exponentially, but the budget's not growing exponentially. The staffing and resources aren't growing exponentially. They typically <laughs> don't take away the old job functions that they used to have in the old era. And so there's a ton of pressure on HR leaders right now to like, how do they thrive in that environment? And that's really the spirit of what I try to do is try to kind of reimagine what HR could be um, inside of an organization. Well, here's a wild question for you. What's more important to people, especially as things have evolved, is it compensation or culture, if you had to pick one of those. What's interesting is like I wrote, I have a book called Lead Like a Human and I wrote it like two, now it's been like three years ago, two and a half years. And it's always interesting, you like write a book and then it's like, it exists in the world, but the world keeps moving. And like yep. at that time, I would have told you a hundred percent culture. Like peop, there was just a general movement of people saying, I want to do work. What I didn't realize at the time was it was at the tail end of that movement. I still think culture really does matter, but no doubt compensation with how inflation and I think Gen Z's reorientation toward work and how that's influencing all of us to say, well, actually, I just want work to kind of be work a little bit too. And I want to make sure that I'm like able to function <laughs> in society. And like, and so I don't, boy, if I had to pick one, I still... The thing is, compensation is just a practical reality. So in this moment, I'm going to say compensation. Yeah, I think and, it's the right call. Yeah. Just because it's a foundational need. Yeah. It's a foundational need. Exactly. If we don't have that, then how do you enjoy the culture and enjoy life? And like, it just, there's a ripple effect to not having adequate compensation. So I would probably say the same. Thing. Yeah. That being said, and having like, you know, interviewed, gosh, who knows how many people over my career. I cannot tell you how many people I've interviewed who've worked at huge companies, who've made amazing salaries, who you would think would be like the envy of everyone. And like, they've got it, they've made it, and they are absolutely miserable. It's like as if they're doing the most soul-crushing work you can imagine. And so it speaks to like, there's a balance there, like to still create an environment where people want to show up and be their best and like where they actually are proud of the work they do. And, they're, you know, it's still, you can't take it for granted either. Yeah. And that's really hard work for HR people and leaders to prioritize the culture, the way you're describing. So people are fulfilled and happy at work. There's just too many miserable people out there. So as the times are changing, the needs of people are changing. How do HR professionals specifically, how do they uplevel their skills to evolve with the times? Because things are moving so fast and it's hard to know all of the strategies um, as a single HR professional. 
Yeah, and I also think you can get it can be overwhelming, and then when you're overwhelmed, you maybe can even get a little paralyzed by it. That's why I think it's really important that the exec like executive function of priority setting and like in synthesizing is remarkably critical. I think when HR leaders get better at saying no, they're better themselves. One of the interesting things I've observed about HR leaders is that they're world class at receiving no's. Like they get rejected constantly. They'll bring this new idea or initiative to the executive team. They'll say they'll get a no and then they just kind of like sheepishly walk away, which is a lot of like what my talk is now is like, how do you respond to no's? Um, How do you kind of debate effectively with executives but and then the flip side is that somebody else will come to them with something that feels like a pressing fire in their world and they say yes they bend to that person they adjust their strategy and they they let this other person's fire become their fire and so i think part of becoming a, like a modern proactive hr leader is gaining some confidence in your strategy so that when those pressing fires of others come in you have a way to redirect and say, hey, I understand this is a super important issue to you. I also want you to know that these are my two priorities right now, and this is what I'm working on. And so, and then just readjust the timeline. For HR people who are really having a hard time becoming a strategic part of the business, you know, some some businesses are it's just so ingrained in, in their culture or, or their business strategy that HR is really not, it's fluffy function or whatever. I'm just putting words in people's mouth right now, but how do we gain influence over the senior leadership or executive team to make sure that they know that HR is a strategic part of the business. Our people matter. Yeah, this is the shift that's happening in HR right now. And it is a non-trivial shift. Actually, like Sapient Insight Group, if you've heard of them, they just came out with a research report that said that for the first time this year, first time ever, executives view HR more often than not as a strategic function. 51%. Wow. I finally tipped over. Yeah. <laughs> Huge milestone. <laughs> but then when I'm like, I like share that with people, I'm always like, yeah, but what about the other 50%, right? Yeah. And they're battling to change that perception. If I had to synthesize and, and I have a keynote that I'm doing right now that really gets at like, so how do you kind of gain a strategic foothold inside the business? And I think at its core, you have to speak the language of the business. So you cannot do these mandatory HRE type uh, specific language. You need to learn every like how does the business make money and then tie your strategy directly to the business yeah uh you need and you need to use data to back up your initiatives it can't just be gut feel it can't be and what i love about hr leaders is they're often very accurate with their intuition but it's not acceptable anymore to just use intuition to kind of get things approved, you will get rejected by executives and you won't change that perception in, unless you do that. And so kind of foundationally, those are the first two things that need to be in place in order to begin changing the perception. In the data side too, like there's no excuse anymore. Like the tools that HR people now have, data is at your fingertips. So like being able to synthesize that data and bring that to the executive team about, you know, why we might change a strategy or why we need to invest in a new strategy. I mean, it's founded on data, like we have it. So why not use it? Yeah, we have exactly. We have it. And you know, to me, it's also, I guess, just for the listener, I don't want you to feel even more overwhelmed. That's not the spirit of what this is, because sometimes data, and I had a data HR company for a long time, like, it can feel overwhelming. And so one, finding the story in the data, like what is the data? What's the story 
But then two, it's like, to me, what is HR accountable for from a business perspective? And then focus the data around that. The, to me, there's three big ones. One is we should be responsible for the collective employee performance of the company. And so we should have metrics that track the performance of our employees. The second is the engagement. Like, is the team motivated? Are they aligned to the goals of the company? It's quantifiable. That's the work that's been a decade doing that. And then the third is turnover and, and specifically regrettable turnover. Like as an HR leader, we should really be very public and visible with the executive team on regrettable turnover and how are we doing as a company at keeping those people that need to be a part of this team or that we want to be a part of this team. Your podcast name is HR Superstars Podcast. So I know that you've had tons of conversations with HR people. You write about the secrets of high-performing HR people. Give me a, a couple of those secrets. For those HR people who are listening and feeling overwhelmed right now, maybe they can hone in on a few things that might make them HR superstars. Yeah, my kind of thesis is this. I've, I've talked over the last decade, I've talked to over a thousand HR leaders. I've noticed that the top 5% are kind of having a very different experience than everyone else. And, and so part of the work I do is to try to demystify what it is that they're doing. They've changed the perception. They've got these big initiatives that for some reason don't get blocked when everybody else's do. They are doing the work that when everyone else got into HR, they thought they would be doing only to find out they're doing something very different. And so instead of doing all five, I'll just because in some of them, by the way, I've shared about speaking the language of the business and using data. But the one that I want to talk about today is showing courage when pitching. That as an HR leader, that the very best HR leaders stand behind their ideas and they truly debate um, with executives. And, and so, so many HR leaders are tasked to solve a problem, go out and do this extensive research, and they get excited about it. They get into the executive room and they pitch and... It, it's maybe a little apathetic. There's a little bit of doubt. They get one bit of pushback and they weren't ready for it. And executives, especially CFOs who always lead with no and CEOs that always scan for risk, when they see any flaw, go straight to no. And the, the typical HR leader walks out of that room dejected and perpetuating this cycle of like, woe is me. I can't, nobody respects me here. And I want to flip the script a little bit and just say, before you go into that meeting, you do whatever you, you stand up tall in the mirror, you do that power pose, you walk in with conviction and confidence and you pitch it like the work that you do matters as much as it actually does, because it does matter. And then when you get that no that should be expected, hang in there. Like now the conversation is starting and I want there to be this one moment that happens where you say something like this. You've tasked me with this thing, with this task. I'm concerned that status quo is a risk to our business. There's a reason why you tasked me with it. And so I'm asking, I'm confident that the plan I've put together is the right plan. And I'm asking that you trust me to execute and like put yourself out there a little bit. And so that'd be, that'd be the one right now that I'm like really keen on challenging HR as a collective. Like let's all, let's believe in our work. Like I, and, and the reason I say this with confidence is because like I actually believe in this. I believe in them. I believe that what they're doing is the right thing for businesses and I want them to not be blocked. I want them to do the work of their dreams. In your book, Lead Like a Human, you're, you're emphasizing the human aspect of leadership. And I personally think it's so important that we as leaders are authentic and, and vulnerable. But I want to ask you like, you know, in the business environment where in the past, like toughness and a stoic demeanor has, has kind of run rampant through leadership style. 
how do we like bring the right level of authenticity and vulnerability so we can you know, be more human for, for our people. Yeah. And it is such a, a delicate balance, like vulnerability without actually, I have a podcast episode, Jacob Morgan, who wrote, wrote, the I book. Him, yeah. Leading with vulnerability. Oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. I love this. One thing he said on the podcast that I loved was like vulnerability plus competent. Um, and like that really resonated with me. I think for me, like part of why I wrote the book was that when I first got into leadership, I had a lot of bad managers before me. And when I, I, was stunned by how stressful being a manager and being a leader was. And when I started to feel the weight of pressure and the weight of stress, I started to have moments where I like acted out in ways that like were really just the patterns before me. And I was like, I can't do, I can't spend my career like this. Like I can't spend my career kind of leading in a way that's not connected to my core person. And so I really set out on a journey myself of like discovering who I am (laughs) and like being confident in that and then leading in a way that was in alignment with my own self. Um, and, and I think when, when you do that, the gift that you give to your team is a calm, steady presence. I think there's a genuine optimism, but I also think it's like when people see you as a real person and a genuine person and you see them as a genuine person, it's not nice. I'm not talking about the fake stuff. It really creates an atmosphere of safety for everyone where then you can actually challenge people more <laughs> because they want to work for you and they want to be the best for you and they don't, and they trust you. They trust that you have their best interest at heart. And, and so it's not to avoid hard conversations. In fact, I think leading in this way opens the door to have real talk with your employees and kind of a trusting, safe place. What do you think some of the mistakes that, that leaders make that create disengagement on their teams and in the culture. I mean, it impacts the culture overall. So um, what are some of those mistakes that you've run across? I would say, you know, and like having an engagement measurement company, like I did have the great fortune of like looking across data of like, I'm asking you this question. (laughs) Yeah. So many. And and then, and, and like, here are two stories. There's one story about an executive and there's one about a manager. Here's a, like a consistent truth. A lot of times companies have an asshole on their executive team who creates a chaotic culture for everyone. And it is just like a blanket of psychological unsafety. And for whatever reason, that person could be the CEO, COO, CFO. It does, it's, a, it's position agnostic, head of sales, whatever it may be, right? It's position agnostic, but its poison is uh, dramatically powerful. But they have some role that's central to how the business makes money that has made everyone else kind of tolerate it. And in the toleration of that behavior, they basically manifest a bad culture. That's probably the very most common thing that I've seen. The second would be a superstar individual contributor who has a ton of potential and wants to be great and they get their first manager job and they have no discernible skills in management. And management is a learned skill. It is not something that is inherited at birth. And when you have that taking place at scale, which is normally what happens. Like it's not just like one superstar individual contributor that got promoted to manager. It's like a whole bunch of them all across the company wreaks total havoc and chaos across your company. I want to hone in on that because I I feel like HR professionals can play a role in helping those new managers um, who were great contributors uh, and now they're promoted to, to manage other people. How can HR facilitate their development? Because I really do feel like they play a role. They do play a role. And what I love is that you don't know the secrets and we're just like accidentally walking through them, which is also very (laughs) affirming to me because number four is that like 
old school HR tries to shoulder too much and be a superhero. They try to take on, say yes to everything. Yeah. New school strategic HR operationalizes their work through the manager. Like they recognize the biggest impact they can have on the company. And, and what really changes an employee's experience is a great manager relation. So creating standards across the organization that set expectations for what they expect from managers. How often do you meet? How do you give effective feedback? And putting in a scalable manager development program that is consistent and steady and regular all across the organization. Um, and then how do you then use the managers to get messaging across throughout the entire organization as well is really foundational to what some of the, I mean, it's the very best HR leaders lean into this concept and they really have like kind of cracked the code on how to both develop the managers and then also how to enable them to activate the company culture. Well said. I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, going back to the just the human aspect of, of leadership, I feel like over the last few years, like the technology has been ramping up. We've got now AI tools that we can rely on. And, and you know, with, with COVID, you know, a lot of businesses shifted virtually and, and never really looked back. Their business forever changed. I think technology is playing a huge role in how human we are or not. What role do you think it plays and how can we make sure that even if we're using these tools that we can still be human? I feel quite positive about technology in general to create efficiency. Like I think efficiency saves time. You can create simplicity. I mean, like I certainly don't long for the days of like, I used to have this Google Docs dashboard that was like my HR metrics dashboard. Well, like now I'm like, oh, this sounds terrible to keep it up to date. And I'm like, no, there's <laughs> like there's that. You can just have a dashboard with your core outcomes and like live in that. It's just so much more efficient. AI, I think has a ton of potential too, to like synthesize work, um, a lo lot of content, how to not get stuck in data, synthesize for the story. I think there's tons of potential there. But that being said, I think my hope, I guess, and my optimistic self says that then that gives more time to do that kind of human work, to kind of do that extra percent. I think those that really win will kind of do the extra amount and put the human layer on top of that. And and that's really where kind of the, the power comes from merging the two together. And thinking about it, like you're, you're spot on with that. I think that's where we can leverage technology to free, free up our valuable human-like skills to um, do more of it, more meaningful work. I think we look at it through that lens and use technology as an efficiency thing. I think we'll be fine. I do worry about people relying on it too much. I don't know if you're seeing that, but I do. Well, I mean, in culture, in like, <laughs> yeah. I think of course, in society in general. You know, I think all of us like it's hard because it's addictive in its nature as well, right? And it can be a crutch, and it can it can. Uh, take away some of that depth of thought or, you know, or be a distraction or keep things at the surface level. So I, I do think it deserves, it deserves scrutiny. I, what I don't think it should be is just like accepted without going, is this better? Like every single type of technology is not always better. Right. Well, Adam, I, I really appreciate you coming on. What like parting thought you want to leave people with? I, I, I encourage people to go check out not only your podcast, um, your show, um, but your book as well. I mean, you got a lot of good stuff. So I wanted to make sure you're on and, and could get introduced to my audience and um, any parting thoughts. 
Yeah, well, first, thanks so much for having me, Brandon. Um, I'd love to connect with all of you on LinkedIn. I post every single day. I try to post original thoughts. I spend, uh, it's not AI doing the typing. It's like actually me just sitting at a coffee shop thinking about the world of work and how to make it better and do my part. So find me on there and I'd love to connect with you there. And um, can I end on like a spicy topic real quick and then we'll just close? Okay, absolutely. Here's the thing I was just kind of like thinking about today. It's an example of uh, how a LinkedIn post emerges. Like right now, I think the collective in the workforce, there's a lot of companies that think they're doing really well because people aren't quitting and their cultures actually aren't good. That's just employees don't trust the job market right now. And as soon as the market turns in the employee's favor, there's a lot of employers that are going to be in for a rude awakening. So like right now is actually the moment to be investing in your culture. There you go. That's parting thought I was just thinking about today. That's a great parting thought. I 1000% agree with you right now. I think people are uneasy about a lot of things in the business environment, the market, all that. So they're, they're hunkering down. I get it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Adam. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in for today's episode of Transform Your Workplace. The content on this show is strictly for general information and educational purposes only so that you can go transform your workplace in a positive way. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are the guest's own and don't represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of either Zenium HR, the sponsor of the show, or me, the host, Brandon Laws. Additionally, Zenium HR or myself, Brandon Laws, doesn't endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent, so discretion is advised. We encourage you to work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode.